Welcome to Conversations on Wealth, a podcast series that explores financial complexities and modern strategies for the discerning investor. Brought to you by Ropan Financial Services. Now to our host. Welcome to Conversations on Wealth, presented to you by Ropan Financial Services. My name is John Calabro and I'll be your host today. And I'm joined once again by the directors of Ropan Financial Services, Rodney Gillum and Jason Panazzo-Tillet, to discuss all things wealth. How are you boys today? Great, John. Good to be here with you again. Yep, sure is, in a new a new location. New location, a bit of fun, banter, away we go. Definitely sounds better, doesn't it? Let's wait and see what everyone else says. Yeah. <laughs> G'day everyone, Rodney here. So, yeah, another Friday morning, the coffees are on, so looking good. Yeah, and not far from Christmas. Yeah, how, big big build up, isn't it? How's the mood leading into Christmas? Everyone feeling optimistic for the new year? Yeah, it's definitely been busy. Uh, I think since things have opened up the last two or three months, there's definitely been a lot of calls coming through, some new new introductions and new referrals, and and uh, also work with the existing client base. Activity and engagement is fantastic. Uh, people are on their toes, making things happen, making decisions. That's good. Yeah, the I, challenge is whether we can close it all off before Christmas. Well, this is the thing. Do we, do we rush to Christmas or is everyone just feeling like, hey, let's just pull the reins in a bit. It's been a tough couple of years. Let's just enjoy our Christmas break and hit it in 2022. I think it's probably at that stage. I had a call from a client this morning and he's got a friend down in Melbourne that needs a bit of help with structuring some of his super and, you know, with a vision towards retirement. And I said, oh, we'll definitely have him call. I said, I'm happy to call him. But uh, I said, it's probably the new year now. So, um but, but that's okay, and it seems to be a, a profession-wide issue at the moment that advisors are busy. We know a group in Melbourne, really busy, another group locally, uh, lots of new activity. So whatever's happened, it, the switch has been uh, flicked. Maybe it's a podcast, John. Got to be the podcast, surely. <laughs> that's all your fault. <laughs> Couldn't have been anything else, I don't think. Other than yeah. the podcast, yeah. There's a lot going on. Like even overnight, just in uh, one of our residential streets, we had a – a fairly regular size residential block sell for probably a record price for the local area. So there's a bit of FOMO going on at the moment, a bit of fear of missing out. So People are on their toes. Oh, yeah. They're Interesting active. times. And I think I, I get the sense in my, in my circles that people have become perhaps a little more patient throughout what's happened with COVID. You know, things have had to be on hold. Things have had to be paused or for whatever reason there's been delays. No one likes it. But there's a bit of an acceptance, it's almost a global, we're in this together, we've all been through this, we're all going to be okay. Maybe this year, let's not rush to Christmas and burn ourselves out even more. Let's just take the time and do it right next year. I don't know, John. No? People are pretty keen. <laughs> they want things done. Yeah. Some people are a bit more dogged it's, than it's, others. It's the competitive element of life. Excellent. Well, in today's podcast, we are going to touch on the essence of long-term investment now when it comes to long-term investment the most obvious thing that comes to mind is superannuation which look you know super's had its ups and downs over the years in terms of its um let's say likability um but look it's mandatory we've seen the super contribution percentage go up in time and and plans for it to go up more so it's here and it's here to stay questions emerge around you know 
how much do you invest in it? How much do you give to it? We, we've seen self-managed super funds now emerge and people are putting all sorts of things into super. So super's kind of had to adapt with the times, which is an interesting prospect. But it's also one of those words that just makes people's eyes roll back in their head and they fall asleep. And so hopefully we keep the podcasters and listening because um, we're here to explain how super can be a bit more interesting. But long-term investment doesn't have to be tied to super. We know property is a, a, a major part of the market. A lot of people that are big into property have multiple properties. They, they, they might build their wealth through a property strategy. Um, so we'll touch on that. But I think towards the end of the podcast, we might open up to some of these more fun activities like, well, hey, you might be an art collector or perhaps you store your wealth in assets that float on water like mega yachts, boats, other things. Um, yeah, I have a bit of a, a, an interest in watches. I wish I had more, but, you know, it'd be nice to sort of uh, to be in that space. And, I, you know, for anyone who knows me personally would know that I come from a musical background and um, guitars are a big part of my life. And, you know, we've seen the value of some original Fender guitars or Gibson guitars absolutely skyrocket i've heard of guitars that people bought for 250 dollars now being worth fifty thousand dollars albeit 10 to 20 years later so there's a very interesting world out there about long-term investment so or speculation or speculation well that's that's an interesting thing let's come back to <laughs> let's come back to speculation because I, I quite like that and, and look this is investment isn't it every investment to some degree is a level of speculation is it not there's an element of risk involved, that's for sure. Whether you buy, retain, hold, offload, uh, there's risk in every aspect of that relationship with the asset. Mm, yeah, it's a fair point. Mm. There's definitely been times, you know, economically where things are a bit stagnant. You know, there's definitely times the property market's booming now, share markets are booming, but there's been periods where they've been pretty stagnant for five, six, seven, eight, ten years, maybe mm. longer. Mm. So yeah, it's a good point. Mm. In a past life... Uh, when I wasn't a creative, I, I used to work in a financial planning group and this was at the era of the dot-com bubble. And you know, speculation as, 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 a, as a term was, was rife then, wasn't it? I mean, we, we had this the craze of the internet and the dot-coms and we saw crazy growth in investments that um, all fell away. So, you know, some of it worked long-term. Mm. We had, the, you know, the, um, what happened in 2008 as well. So, how, how long-term is long-term is, is an interesting question as well. What would you guys well, say about it, that? It's interesting getting back to the dot-coms because really the tech sector has boomed, but that that era of like, when was it, 98, 99, 2000, like it was almost an early run that just didn't happen. The quality of the companies wasn't there in terms of that sustainability, but we saw probably with the GFC that there was a big reset and since that period, companies like particularly probably Apple and Microsoft have continued on, what, Google, Google. Well, Amazon. Google didn't exist when the dot-com bubble happened, I'm pretty sure. I mean, they came about later, mm. if, I, if I remember correctly. So we're seeing it a little bit with some of the mining sector at the moment. There's obviously a big push for renewable energy and obviously the knock-on with that is electric cars and Tesla and all that sort of thing, battery technology. And I know... My brother was into lithium stocks three or four years ago. He was probably just a bit ahead of the time. Like the position was set, but the market just didn't really grab. But we've seen maybe there's a bit of speculation in that sector at the moment, but the the early adopters in, in the small cap sector, they're all positioning themselves in the different lithium stocks and some of them have already ran, um, no doubt about that. But 
are they going to be the next Apple, the next Google, the next Facebook in terms of the growth of these small miners or companies that have got access to graphite and all those materials that make up the batteries? So it's really interesting, the timing, like you say. The yeah. cream the cream ultimately, ultimately rises to the top, doesn't it? You, you can't deny mm-hmm. that. And yep. talk about speculation, the early run, this type of thing. We, I had in my notes to talk a little bit later about maybe just touch briefly on crypto and whatnot, but it's almost a little bit like what's going on in the crypto space is what was going on in the internet space 20 years ago. While it's finding its feet, while it's defining its regulations and, and how that's all going, People are jumping on it, going silly. People are making some great gains and it's kind of picking up momentum, but it still feels like the wild west of, of in, um, investment to a degree, doesn't it? No, Bad no thing, doubt. though, is it? Oh, the wild west. You know, <laughs> a lot of people had a lot of success. So, you know, it's, it's, there, it's there to be had if, if you can navigate yourself safely. And there's probably a generational issue there too, like the millennials have, have got a head start maybe mm. in the space of crypto, whereas... Maybe some of those, you know, baby boomers that have, say, been landholders that are adjoining towns or cities where they're, you know, having big developers come and offer them, you know, multi-millions of dollars. Well, the millennials don't really have that ability to get into that market. So things like crypto, um, it's given them a low entry point in terms of cost. Now that's changing a bit now, but, you know, maybe it is still early days, John. be very interesting to see where it all lands in the coming Weeks, months, years. Um, Sounds like you want to take a bet, John. <laughs> well, I'm not a gambling man, but we were just talking about speculation mm. and risk. Mm. Just getting back to you mentioned superannuation as an investment. There's often a little bit of a um, disconnect or, or understanding between what superannuation is. The, the reality is superannuation is really a trust, a um, an investment structure. So it's a tax structure and it's obviously got preservation issues around it in terms of when people can access it, draw an income stream for, from it. Uh, so, and obviously super, there's, you know, your traditional industry style funds, there's public offer funds and John, you mentioned the self-managed funds. So they're really a structure, but within those structures can become a lot of investment opportunities. And, you know, we deal a lot with this, um, SME market so small to medium enterprise market and directors of those businesses and a lot of those types of people look to have maybe a self-managed fund or they used, it used to be called a um, do-it-yourself super fund and they they give investors the opportunity to buy into direct property be it a residential home or a commercial property or an, an office building um, things like that so there's definitely a bit of a move in terms of the flexibility of super, but there are also restrictions around it too. And the government's brought out um, member limitations in terms of the tax-free nature of super, particularly at a pension phase when someone's probably in in retirement uh, of around 1.6 million. So, and there's also contribution caps, um, caps from the employment aspect. So from the, you know, the employee remuneration versus caps on contribution of after-tax money. So it's a fairly controlled uh, tax structure, but it's definitely one that can create a real basis for someone's financial future, John. And you spoke about the long-term nature. Um, superannuation can be a really good long-term investment that's that's contributed to regularly. And, and like you say, over the long term, it'll give 
investors and I guess members of these super funds a good base for their potential retirement or philanthropic giving. We're seeing a bit of that at the moment as well. Wealth transfer to children uh, and stuff like that. So would you say, Rodney, that's a core aspect of someone's strategy to consider super as the structure given the tax efficiencies and the longer-term benefits associated with that? Oh, there's, there's no doubt. I guess the only issue is the aspects around preservation. So if someone's putting in extra contributions over and above their 9 or 10% of their salaries or wages. Um, but the reality is, you know, people are probably joining the workforce later now and whether or not they're, they're finishing early, I mean, people might be working longer now overall. So there's definitely concern with younger in investors in terms of putting extra into super, but definitely we've seen it that those that put in earlier, if they contribute earlier, the compound returns mean later on in their life cycle, they probably don't need to put as much in. There's probably a, a bit of a case in point here to raise that a lot of people who start businesses, you talked about small to medium enterprises, young entrepreneurs, they might, may not even be putting any money into their super. You know, they're probably barely paying themselves or, or putting all, all that they earn in their business back into their business. So, you know, the discipline to put something away for later on, again, I, I, mm. you mentioned before about industry super um, traditionally has a bit of a boring kind of connotation and, and maybe people's eyes roll back in their heads. But if we actually talk about, well, why are you in business? You're trying to make money for your, for your long-term prospects then putting a bit in super is, is about hedging your bets, isn't it? No, no doubt. And and when you go into business, you can have a view that your your business will have an asset value at some stage. But we've probably been of the view that if you can invest along the way, it takes pressure off the end result in terms of selling a business. Because often a business can be sold not at the best of times too. There might be an economic downturn. There could be a health issue. Um for yourself uh, in in the business um, you know you might just be running out of ideas and your business may not be as sharp as in the earlier days too so I think if you can can build up some assets outside of the business be it in super or non-super and we can talk about non-super later on but it definitely takes pressure particularly if you've got you're bringing in other partners or other equity participants from within your business and like that can often be a really good way to extend the longevity of your business and reinvigorate it too, John. Good points. Do you think that's all also about mitigating potential risks? In terms of? The fundamental strategy, so sticking to some of the core aspects in regard to making super part of the strategic plan, be it as a self-employed person or as someone starting up a new venture, ensuring that that longer-term aspect covers off on all the various different components not just the business but super the longer term planning versus the tactical sell-off yeah i i think i think it's good and i know john you're a big advocate of personal risk insurances you know your life insurance income protection that sort of thing i i think a lot of businesses overlook these things like the superannuation aspect insurances but if you want to structure your business properly and get your proper cost structures you really should have these things in because then it helps determine what level of activity you need to do within your business, your margins, you know, your your cost of goods and and that sort of thing. Whereas if you don't have all these things in the background, you you probably 
underselling yourself in terms of your product or your service. So, but I, I but do, it comes in stages, doesn't it? It doesn't all happen overnight. But if the business owner can chip away, and we've got a plumber who we're doing some work with at the moment, we've we've helped him structure up his back office in terms of his finance department, his staffing on the front end, and now we're starting to have conversations around a commercial property and a development for his business as well as contributions and insurances so it takes time and and coming back to the sense of you know i think the point you're kind of getting that is almost as the maturation of a business owner or a young person starting in business i mean because if you're an employee you're going to get paid super regardless it's legislation hopefully if you've got a decent employer they're going to they're going to pay that for you but if you're running your own business and you haven't got that discipline yet, it is a sense of uh, maturing when you do start doing these things properly. And again, you mentioned before risk mitigation, things like getting your life insurance organized, you know, making sure that you're, you're covered or your wife or your next of kin are covered. Again, you mentioned my situation. Um, you know, I've got young children. I've got a mortgage. I would love if something was to happen to me that my wife didn't have to worry about those things. And it's, it's just thinking about that, thinking in those terms that maybe a lot of people haven't done that prior. That's a fair call, and I think that dovetails into the issue in regards to what's the strategy. Are you just going out on a limb because you have an idea in mind, you're not, you have an entrepreneurial spirit, you're looking at setting up a new business, but is it backed by a fundamental strategy of some sort, which actually includes super as part of that component? Um, quite often people say you can only grow at the compromisation of something being foregone, but maybe the reality it's both. I can recall when Roddy and I started in the business around 20 years ago, uh, thereabouts, um, there was a conscious effort not just to focus on the business. Sure, that was a, a main part of the drive, but also some of the other underlying strategies that will bring us some type of financial freedom in the future. So the strategy needs to be fairly... You need to have a, a something in mind in regard to what you're driving at and not just the business. And if you're... If you're a chef and you've started a restaurant and you're flipping burgers and you're wiping, mopping floors and you're dealing with customers who don't like the way that you cook the eggs, you know, you're going to come home from work pretty tired and you're not thinking about this stuff, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you probably jump on Instagram and Facebook and swipe, swipe, swipe. Well, that's called mitigating the risk. <laughs> Public perception. Absolutely. And look, I think this just punctuates the point that um, if you – aren't Superman or Superwoman mm. and, and can't get your fingers across all of these, you know, all, all these pies, you know, mm. pardon the pun again, mm. you know, get an advisor, get some advice. People are out there, they, they can mm. help you. They've done it before, um, you know, people like yourselves who have decades of experience, you can you can impart some wisdom and, and set people on the right path. Knowledge is power, isn't it? We, we had a guy down in Melbourne who was a, a contact through, um, through the fishing actually and, he was a bit frustrated being in the workforce for 20 years and his super fund, he just didn't feel it had grown the way it should have and he was interested in, in property. So we were able to help help him get set up with a self-managed fund, um, buy a, a townhouse and, you know, he got his tenant in and he's had it for a few years but he's recently sold it and um, the financial outcome he had and it, it involved borrowing money in the super fund. So again, they're... they're 
strategy aspects that a lot of people don't realize you you, you can do but it's, it's quite advanced isn't it as, as opposed to just getting paid you well it's not nine and a half percent anymore you're ten percent as opposed to just getting its paycheck putting a ten percent in you know an industry super fund and looking at it in 30 years what you're talking about are borrowing against and using your super to be more proactive that's quite advanced yeah and it's funny because his situation's changed too he ended up buying his employer out and um so he's now got his own business that's performing really well super funds performed well and now he's in a position where he's uh, recently sold that particular unit and looking to buy a commercial at um building for his business so all of a sudden the wealth that jason spoke about it's just really compounded transferring to other ways oh it's amazing but without the strategy he wouldn't be in that position oh for sure that's the issue yep yep you know, I mentioned off air, and I I, uh, I can't remember the quote verbatim, so I'm completely going to stuff it up. But it may have been, it may have been Bill Gates, it may have been someone else. But I think that the theme of the quote goes: we underestimate what we can achieve in ten years, we overestimate what we can achieve in one. And I think that's a, that sort of you know you can't necessarily see what's ahead of you, but you have the long term vision. You, you know, get started early. And then uh, what you gain over time can, can be of great benefit. So, you know, some great disciplines there. Mm. Getting that message out there too, John, the reality is in the, in the general populace, up to 70% of people don't engage professional advisors. So there's a window of opportunity for the investor. There's a window of opportunity for the advisors. And pulling the resources together can make for a fairly healthy future. And that's a great segue, Jason, because we've kind of gone off script and gone off pathway, but we were going to touch on what we spoke about in the last podcast, which was what constitutes a, a great or you know, a great wealth advisor. And so, I mean, you've just mentioned it then. People are out there. You can get advice. We had touched on it in the last podcast. What are two or three of the key things you think people should be looking out for if they're going to approach I, someone? I think sometimes, John, we make a lot of assumptions and we see this a little bit even with our own client base. Like we've had clients on board for 20 years and you might have you know another viewpoint in your business involved in your meetings and you might get down to some nitty-gritty and explain dividends on shares or or manage fund distributions your etf distributions and explain the tax benefit of these franking credits um we've there's definitely been a few meetings i've been involved with this year where clients have said oh often just look at the number and go well you know the fund's worth xyz and this week it's dropped the next month it's gone up and that's the focus but because we had a client in recently that was a bit nervous about markets and was looking to to cash out all of their money and put in cash for the next 12 months and um we went through the aspect of where the return comes from from that portfolio and once we got down and explained about the dividends and and the franking credits and, and and that aspect of it. I mean, that made up probably the majority, if not at least half of the return over time. And once the, our client understood that, um, they realised that if they were to pull out of the market for the next year or two or three, that half of their return is income distribution, that even if markets were choppy, they were probably going to get anyway. So... Once they weighed up a few of those facts and some other issues, they, they made the decision just to stick with it. So I think sometimes we make assumptions on the knowledge of, of our clients or it might be new prospective clients um, that that we, we shouldn't make. You know, sometimes you've got to get back to basics too. About asking the right questions, I assume. 
Well, maybe, maybe. Yep. Given the circumstances, of course. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's and I, I think again we we spoke about the pathways earlier, but once people have a greater understanding, and obviously they they need to trust their advisor too, but there definitely needs to be a level of understanding in that too. Um, but but once they they trust and they there's some understanding, it helps them with that pathway towards the longer term outcome that you mentioned, John. You mentioned uh, again to, to to lead you guys, lead your hand a little bit. Um, in that last podcast, we talked about you know if you're seeking out an advisor, get someone who's had an education because I know you guys had had your um, your uh, under uh, excuse me your bachelor's. And then you went and got your, your your postgraduates as well to get the qualifications. Now you have to have a um, a bachelor in financial planning. Um, but you know, as we talked about before, be it crypto, be it self managed super, the sands are changing. So you need someone who's across it to help guide you. Sometimes, if you can't invest the time yourself. Yeah, and the other reality in that particular instance, John, is the fact that. The number of advisors in the marketplace now, in particular, last eighteen months, has reduced from twenty nine thousand to chica twenty one thousand, and the estimation over the next five years is it will reduce from twenty one thousand to thirteen thousand. Uh, so you've got to look at what's the underlying reasoning for that particular trend, uh, and it's highlighting the complexities within the profession. It's highlighting the fact that the marketplace has changed. There's so many more aspects to investing and having mm. an appropriate strategy in place. And I think as the marketplace continues to evolve, well, the professional advisory space equally continues to evolve. And gone are the days where you just particularly invest into one particular stock or one particular fund or have one particular insurance policy. Now there are so many aspects Mm -hmm. uh, that change that dynamic. It's a good point. It's becoming more specialised and even in our practice, um, different advisors specialise in different aspects of the market. Um, Things like aged care, we had some clients come in. Uh, it was a pretty urgent sort of meeting to have um, for their mother who was has just gone into aged care and looking at selling a home and, you know, raising capital for what they call a RAD, an in- ingoing fee, and then you've got the different ongoing fees. And so we've got a spe- specialisation in our practice to be able to provide advice that's on point in that sector even things like some of the annuity style products. Um, I think Challenger are the, the main provider in that area, but the rules keep changing from time to time. So it's important we engage with the product manufacturers, you know, through their representatives. They'll come and visit every three months or every six months just to be up to date with the different products and the rule changes. And so I think it's pretty pretty hard for the self-directed investor to be across everything. I mean, it's hard enough for us to be. Who thinks the glue that holds it together, Rodney? In the practice? (laughs) (laughs) Clients, practice. Yeah, it's an interesting one, but but I I think you've got to be focused on what your core is, don't you? And we've always been pretty focused on what we do. We don't get into mortgage broking. We don't get into accounting, um, legal and, and I think over time that's paying off for us to become a bit more specialised and we had a new um, a new potential client come in recently who's very interested in philanthropy and they've recently sold a significant business and, and looking to invest back into the local community. Um, they've, got, they've got relationships in Melbourne already but with some of their new funds they're looking to keep it local and um, 
keep it local in terms of the advisory relationship, but also with some of the income distributions from those assets, that will definitely be um, used towards contributions in local foundations and potentially charities as well. You've been listening to part one of our podcast on long-term investment for Conversations on Wealth presented by Ropan Financial Services. Be sure to tune in to part two so we continue the conversation. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Please note that the advice discussed in this podcast may not necessarily be suitable to you because it contains general advice that has not been tailored to your personal circumstances. We ask that you please seek personal financial advice prior to acting on this information. To find out more about what was discussed in this podcast or to seek advice, we encourage you to contact the friendly staff at Ropan Financial Services by visiting www.ropan.com.au or referring to the notes in the description. 